This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Seek a licensed professional for investment advice about crypto or any other investment. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Blazing Crypto Podcast. We are Justin and Brandon, and this is episode 19. Really excited to have you join us today. On today's show, we're going to continue our unofficial mini-series about not sleeping on Bitcoin, not being surprised by Bitcoin. Uh, Excited to jump into that. But first, uh, we've got some big news to share. Uh, The Bitcoin conference is going on in Miami for a, I believe, a second or third year now, and some pretty big news just dropped uh, yesterday. So Justin, share with our audience what that news was. Yeah, so one of the major, um, actually, one, I should say one of the largest uh, e-commerce platforms is called Shopify. And a lot, of, a lot of companies use Shopify to build their e-commerce websites. Well, it, uh, as of yesterday, announced that it is integrating with Bitcoin Lightning Network. So they will be accepting uh, crypto payments, which is pretty cool uh, for a number of reasons. Not necessarily just because oh people will be able to like spend their you know their Bitcoin on whatever buying uh, toilet paper or whatever they want to buy with it, but uh, I think I think the big thing there is the you know the big players in the e-commerce space in the world are, are are recognizing crypto for what it is, Bitcoin for what it is, and saying hey this is legitimate. Like we are going to build our software to integrate with these systems. Um, so it's a, it's a massive, to me, it's a massive sign of adoption, uh, a step towards adoption. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Bitcoin's going to hit, you know, a million dollars tomorrow. <laughs> That's not the point. Uh, but, you know, as, as crypto adopts into the world, it has to go through a lot of different hurdles. Uh, and this is, this is a hurdle that I would consider one of the major ones, which is pretty, uh, it's a really good sign. Yeah, really from day one, um, people would say, you know, that that sort of argue or fuss that Bitcoin would never be able to kind of the key word here is is settle. It would never be able to clear fast enough, you know, so the joke about waiting, you know, 15 minutes for your coffee at the coffee shop or 12 and a half minutes for your order at McDonald's. Uh, and it was a fair criticism. And even there was a, we've talked about in the past, Bitcoin Cash was sort of a derivative project that forked off of, of the Bitcoin mainnet uh, because they were afraid that Bitcoin wouldn't even make it if it couldn't handle this, this quote-unquote problem. And so, yeah, the Lightning Network has built a Layer 2 kind of language we've used in the past. So Layer 2 built on top of Bitcoin to basically offer instant settlement. Now, the settlement does happen off-chain, and then it's later merged, batched, whatever the operative word is. But yeah, really exciting. Um, you know, largest e-commerce provider, correct? Is it largest e-commerce platform uh, yes. now accepting Bitcoin yeah. via the Lightning Network? So again, really cool. Really cool to see um, real-life use cases, global adoption, and again, these layer twos being built on top of layer ones like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, AVAX, again, that are sort of like scaling out uh, the value of these networks. It's really, 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 really great to see. Now, we don't expect people to actually be spending their Bitcoin. That's not really the point of this. Um, but again, like Justin said, like you have to have the rails, you have to have the infrastructure to see global adoption, right? As, as, as even, frankly, a number of use cases begin to take hold. It's sort of like depending on what 
audience you are is actually sort of deciding or de uh, determining what your interest and use case in in Bitcoin is. Yep. All right. Well, happy to happy to <laughs> communicate that news to you again. The rate and acceleration of global adoption and development and integration is staggering, stunning, fantastic. Uh, on today's episode, uh, we're going to continue a mini series, like I mentioned about. I need to come up with a better name for it, but but don't sleep on Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin has become a household name, and I think again from last week, if you listen to our episode eighteen, I almost think that that that's a danger. Because people either assume it, they take it for granted, they think that everything that happens in crypto applies to Bitcoin, and everything that happens to Bitcoin applies to the whole of crypto. And last week, Justin, I think we made a pretty impassioned uh, plea or case that, that that is not the case, and people need to be sort of mindful of, of those differences. Yeah. And the statement we made last week, uh, which I did have someone sort of correct me on, one of our audience members, um, but it was intentional. Bitcoin is crypto. But crypto isn't Bitcoin. And yes, technically, it should say all crypto isn't Bitcoin. But the point was <laughs> trying to get people's attention. I think it was successful. You cannot you cannot intermingle, mix and match. It's not a one-to-one. -one. That was the point. The uh, pr provocative statement number two for this week is you should actually treat Bitcoin more like land than you do another altcoin. So treat Bitcoin like land, which is not a, I don't think land is a digital token last time I checked. Uh, treat Bitcoin more like land than you do another altcoin. So Justin, land the plane. Why Why would we even say that? And why would we sort of say that in a, in a, in a don't sleep on Bitcoin kind of way? Well, let me start off with a quote. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, this is a few months ago. I think it was around December. And Anthony Pompliano, he's he's one of the major podcasters that I follow um, in the crypto space. He had Kevin O'Leary on his show. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, uh, he's you've probably heard the name before. He's on Shark Tank. He's he's a big investor. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and they were talking about Bitcoin, and specifically as it relates to institutional adoption. And Kevin actually, he actually had this to say, it was a really good statement. Institutional investors have shifted the way they view Bitcoin. It's no longer a currency. Now they see it as property. So in the episode, I, I won't go into all the details, but basically they were talking about the way that the institutional investors have shifted the way they view Bitcoin. And they go into a number of reasons about that, but that's kind of what we mean uh, when we talk about view it as land, um, a big reason why I view it as land is because that's what you know, that's what the uh, the institutions are shifting their mindset to see it as. That's that's a really good sign. So, um, yeah, and we'll get into some of the reasons as you know we get through the episode. But to me, uh, a big a big reason for that I I have for viewing it as land is linked to the the finite supply, right? So. Um, it's most like land when it comes to that aspect of Bitcoin and that there's only so much land and there's only so much Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. And again, with, with land, right. The, the more the U the U S population, that's not even the point, the more global, the world population grows, 
Um, again, assuming we don't end up in Mars in 20 years or whatever Elon Musk wants to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever, right? I, I don't even know. I don't even have an opinion on that. I don't even know what to think about that. But the point is, the more the population grows at, you know, crazy rates and the older people get, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they're not going to create more Bitcoin. They're not going to create more land. And so, yeah, so the point is, the point is not to think about like Bitcoin as a piece of physical property. What we're trying to communicate is on a spectrum. Okay. We've got in crypto, we have a, like, I'm going to use an example of a really good project. There's a privacy token called Zcash. Z-E-C is the tag. There's a privacy token called Zcash. I'm making the case, Justin, you're making the case that Bitcoin should be treated more like a quarter of an acre in Manhattan yeah. than owning 15 Zcash. Yeah. And not simply from a what it's currently trading at today, but more so what it unlocks, what it enables, the amount of demand, the scare the scarcity, and frankly, the provable scarcity, right? Yeah. So um, one big point, you mentioned the, the finite supply dynamic. Uh, we talked about last week, 21 million is all that will ever be issued. Uh, we just crossed 19 million uh, minted into supply, uh, I think around the time that we even published last week, Friday or Saturday. Um, and that sort of built into the code, built into the software, um, sort of irrevocably changed. You'd have to have someone own more than 51% of the Bitcoin network to, to sort of publish a change to that. So yeah. not not technically impossible, but almost impossible. And again, the real, real estate goes up, not because houses are getting nicer. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, they're probably not getting nicer. They're, they're getting <laughs> less nice if you've bought a new house in the recent years. Trust me, my crappy little house is getting more expensive every uh, with every month that goes by right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going up because there's yeah. more people, but there's not more yeah. land. Exactly. Right. And it's not that we can't make more bricks. It's, it's because of the land. Uh, and obviously, again, where land is sort of um, uh, kind of fungible, if you will. Bitcoin is non-fungible. Yeah. You know, a piece of land is more or less valuable depending on its proximity to the ocean or the lake. Or again, if you live in Manhattan versus Staten Island, obviously you understand the difference, even though they're both have New York, New York addresses. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention here, I mentioned provable scarcity. So Scarcity would mean there's just not an abundance. There's not an abundance of it, and there's sort of more demand than there is supply. That that's a sort of a, a handy definition for scarcity. Gold and silver. So take metals, bronze, copper, whatever you want to say. Gold and silver are scarce, but they are not provably scarce. Right? No one. No one can definitively say. Oh. Like all the gold that will ever be mined has been mined. No yeah. one can say that with with proof. I know. Well, one moment. Sorry to interrupt you there. Even one thing I know. Um, I think Elon Musk was talking about this. I know it was the Winklevoss twins have talked about it as well. But you know, we know that there's asteroids around us that are just loaded with gold. You know, as the technology advances, we're talking about on one asteroid, you could double the amount of gold that we have on Earth. Right. And so like, that's, I know that sounds crazy. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that they're up there going to go mine all the gold right now. But the point is, is like, we can find more gold in our solar system. 
I actually didn't. I did not know that. So that's a that's oh, a really? new piece of oh. information to me. So that's no, that's really interesting. A lot of yeah, people and, use that argument when they're talking about why Bitcoin is more scarce than gold. Yeah, and frankly, there may there may simply and this isn't you know we're not trying to like debate how much gold exists, right? I in one sense don't I don't really have a, a dog in that in that horse or <laughs> a horse dog in that horse. race, a dog in that fight. Again, mixed metaphors are my favorite. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the, again, the, the the what we're trying to communicate there is we don't know how much there is. I mean, maybe we discover, you know, 1,200 feet under the Earth's surface, this, yeah. you know, complete gold, you know, whatever. The point is it's not provably scarce, even though it is, it is scarce. Right. So with Bitcoin, it's provably scarce because that's the way it was built. That's the way it was designed. And because it's software, we know everything about where all those Bitcoin are in one sense. Um even frankly, how many are probably lost? I think it was estimated, just now I forget the number, 20% of all the Bitcoin, current Bitcoin supply is estimated to have been completely lost. Yeah. How, how on earth would you estimate how much gold had been lost? Oh, or how much gold was used to exist and was on record somewhere and now is at the bottom of the ocean? No yeah. idea, right? Yeah. Um, Justin, anything else about we talked about treating Bitcoin more like land, more as as a property asset than like, you know, another altcoin, another another digital token, which technically is what Bitcoin is. Any other points related to why the finite and finite supply and sort of provable scarcity matters as it relates to this this topic? No, I think the I, I think there's other things that are tied to that point. Like um, I don't know, like. I think what makes Bitcoin's scarcity um, unique is it's based on math, right? And like we, it's almost like hard to um, think about Bitcoin in that way because everything that we've, you know, we've grown up, we, we're used to um, seeing is analog, right? We're, we're used to investing in analog things like land, gold, like things that you can touch and feel. Um, but I think one of the things, like I said, that does make Bitcoin unique here is you can't see it. Um, and that makes it, I, I, I do think that makes it very hard for, um, you know, especially older generations to really grasp a hold of that. And the younger generations, it's just easier for them to see that because that's, that's the world that they grew up in. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's not just provably scarce like gold, but it's, it's very different from gold in that it's, it's based on software, math, numbers, um, which some people have a hard time trusting, and other people, you know, they don't have as a hard a hard of time trusting that. Yeah, I mean, think about something for a second. That brings up a good point. You know, if you saw if you saw someone holding up a, a solid gold bar, you, you you know what those look like, right? If you saw someone holding a solid gold bar, I mean, you saw someone holding up in theory, uh, I guess a, a, a thumb drive yeah. with open source software code. I mean, it's not really even a debate of which one you would think was more valuable. Right, right. This is, I'm going to set up a, I'm going to set up our next episode with a statement and then we're not, not going to talk about it in depth, right? <laughs> I'll control myself. I'm going but, on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that we're, I'll tease this out for the next episode. I think this is really, 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 really important. Bitcoin solved, or Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, 
Bitcoin solved a problem that people didn't know existed in a way that people don't understand. And I would say that is in large part both of those pieces, right? Both of those pieces are big reasons why we didn't see immediate adoption on Bitcoin. It's almost like if you could have, if you could have manufactured or like, cl- if you had figured out a way to clone gold <laughs> yeah. or you found another property that had gold like qualities but was more scarce. Like you would have buyers immediately because people understand it. It's like something that they already know. But again, Bitcoin solved a problem people didn't know existed for 12 years. And it did it in a way people don't understand. And I w- again, that sets up the next episode. We're going to talk about why that's so important. Um, but, but Justin, let's jump back to your comment about real estate. And we're going to dig into here why Bitcoin is specifically valuable in a way that other altcoins are not as it relates to this whole land real estate analogy. Mm -hmm. I remember I was talking with somebody and you and I have had, you know, a number of conversations with people and probably thought this ourselves a time or two. Let's just say they had $500. So, you know, a modest amount of money. They have $500. They wanted to buy crypto. They look at all their options. I forget now exactly how much $500 would buy you of Bitcoin, but I know the first two decimal, the first two digits after the decimal place are zero. So it's 0.00 something. It might even be uh, 0.009. I forget exactly. That's probably too many zeros. Um, you know what? I'm going to actually look this up just so instead of fumbling around, I can actually tell you what it is. I think it's 0.007, but I'm not sure. Yeah, some, something like that. Yep. The point is, it, it's not a lot. It's not a lot of Bitcoin. Then you, you find a token that that sells for, for $5 and you're like, oh, I can get 100 of those. I can have 100 fill-in-the-blank coin or i can have 0.0 something 00 something bitcoin and immediately that whole thing about i've already missed bitcoin i can't even buy a whole bitcoin i can't be a as the kids say a whole coiner and and then you start thinking yeah like i i would rather have 500 of something or 5000 of something that sells for you know 50 cents or 5 cents a coin that just feels like a lot better thing the way that I've I've talked about that, and I've probably mentioned this on past shows, would you rather own a quarter of an acre in Manhattan or 50 acres in the middle of Kansas? If you're listening from Kansas, I love Kansas, especially after they just defeated North Carolina. Like, oh man, oh, I have... Cal- that was calculated. That was calculated. <laughs> listen, I have... I have love for the state of Kansas, the people of Kansas, the wheat and corn that grows in Kansas. I love all of it. But for the for the sake of this illustration, um, for the sake of this illustration, would you rather own a quarter of an acre in Manhattan or fifty acres in Kansas? Without doing the math, I'll just tell you it's not a fair it's not a fair comparison. And that's that is what owning Bitcoin is like 
in its point zero zero seven point zero zero nine. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if you own point zero three or point zero five or point one Bitcoin, in five or ten years, that's going to feel more like owning a quarter of an acre in Manhattan. And again, that's why that's why this discussion is so timely. And that's why we want you to understand that Bitcoin, while being a cryptocurrency, is not like any of the other cryptocurrencies. Because maybe other than Ethereum, we're just not going to be saying things like that about Zcash yep. or right. um, uh, any of the other tokens, even though they have a lot of value in their own in their own right. Yeah, I do think it's. Uh, I understand why people approach the market that way, and I've had a lot of conversations with people around. Oh, this one's cheaper, you know, so it's going to be the next one to go. It's just the. I think the hard part that people have a uh, they just have a hard time grasping maybe is just because the price is cheaper um does not mean it's that there's more opportunity there or that there's more value um i can go make my own cryptocurrency tomorrow with a hundred trillion coins and it'll be the cheapest little coin that you can find in crypto and that doesn't mean it's worth absolutely anything you know so um I think I think separating from separating the price of an asset from the, what makes it valuable and what makes it you know um, a long term investment those those are two very different things. Yeah, even I mean even people that buy real estate, they buy real estate for different reasons than they buy other things. They have different expectations of the asset, and that's part part of what we're trying to do is say. We need to change our expectations. We need to change the way we think about specifically Bitcoin. I would argue that you know when someone when someone buys a house, now certainly there's the utility of my family or, or myself needs a place to live. Okay, that makes sense, right? We buy that. We buy land. There's at least a, a subconscious understanding that these things go up in value over time, which is why we borrow U.S. dollars, right? Because yeah. this thing is deflationary. U.S. dollars are inflationary. All right. But we, we think about it differently. For instance, if, if I, you know, I bought a house and if in three years it had gone up 50% in value, which isn't terribly different than what we've seen in Greenville, I, I'm not looking to like trade my house. I'm not looking to sell my house on the basis that it went up in value. Now, if I bought a sports collectible, and it doubled in value in a year, and someone offered that to me, I might be willing to let go of it just because it's a it's an easy way to turn you know to turn a dollar. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're we're saying. Here's one of the reasons why. Justin, I'll I'll set you up for this. There there are people, and there's a legitimate use case that there is a whole class of people that will only ever buy. Bitcoin. They will never sell their Bitcoin. Justin, can you explain why that why that use case is going to make sense and and sort of what would be involved? How, how would you leverage Bitcoin if you never sold it? Yeah, like just like um, so. Without getting into like all of the numbers, uh, a lot of people that. Um, you know, have more wealth than I do. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> they, 
um, they use their assets to borrow against, and then they use that money to create more wealth, right? So it, it's think of it like like we were talked about earlier about uh, taking out a mortgage to buy your home. You are taking on debt, and you are using your home to borrow against, and then you're paying that off over a really long time. So, so if you default on your loan, the bank gets your house, right? So in that situation, you're using your, your home as collateral. Well, that works the same exact way for Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, the wealthier, uh, a lot of wealthy people in America, that's how they produce more wealth. They use their assets, they borrow against it, and they're able to take that money that they're borrowing and invest it in other assets that are outperforming whatever interest rate they're paying on that debt. Right? And so they're, it's essentially ballooning. And if you're a, if you're a, um, Oh shoot! I just forgot his name. Who's the conservative? Uh, uh, okay, I'll come back to that later. But if you're a uh, Dave Ramsey, thank you. If you're a Dave Ramsey fan, that might not uh, fit your model, right? But it's that's just how that's how it works, um, and that's how people are are doing it. So, yeah, particularly like, if you're buying other assets, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, we're not yeah. talking about taking out money, even to frankly right. loaning money to buy a car, which is depreciating. Correct. These are like buying assets that, again, grow wealth and create cash flow and those things. Yep. So, yeah, in this situation, um, this is actually actually going back to that going back to that Kevin O'Leary podcast. Another statement he made in that podcast. It's kind of tied to this. There's, he said, "There's never been an asset class with this much potential." Right, and and everything he's talking about in there, he's talking about the utility of Bitcoin. As it relates to this borrowing concept, um, it's it's an asset that businesses, companies, institutions wants they want because they can leverage it um, in a number of different ways. So in that situation, yeah, they never have to sell their Bitcoin, right? Like if they if they want to, um, you know, invest in another property or some other asset, they can use their Bitcoin as collateral, borrow against it, invest in this other asset, right, and then. You know, they, whatever, however they want to pay that off over time, they can do that. But the point is, they're not selling their Bitcoin, right? They're just they're they're utilizing it. Uh, and I think that's really at, at the heart of really what makes <clears throat> what makes Bitcoin so unique. Um, in that it's it's essentially software that is an asset class that you can borrow against. We've never seen anything like that. It's, that is insanely innovative. I don't know how to overstate yeah. it, but <laughs> right. And one of the things about Kevin O'Leary, some of his recent statements. So just so everyone knows, if you can track with this, you know, Kevin O'Leary went from being a, a closet crypto holder because of some of his, he basically couldn't talk about it because of a yeah. few of his, uh, sort of fiduciary situations and there wasn't regulation in place. He just couldn't talk about it. He couldn't say anything positive about it. Then he came out, and I think he said something about crypto's one percent of my net worth. I believe it's either three or five percent of his net worth now. Um, I forget what the last thing he said was. So put it this way: Kevin O'Leary is so is so crazy negative about a lot of stuff on Shark Tank, and that's you know a little bit of his bit, right? Yeah. But to hear him be so over the top positive about Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, crypto in general, but yeah. Exactly. The yeah. The, the whole the whole idea here is is Bitcoin is property. Yep. 
Uh, it's not it's not a it's not a, a token that we're going to use to buy a shirt with, um, and that's why again we've got to put space between in crypto land how we think about Bitcoin and how we think about all of these other assets. You know, with a caveat made for Ethereum, which we'll cover in future days. All right, I, I want to make this point quickly. We've covered this a lot, but um, we talked about the finite supply. But frankly, why we're treating Bitcoin more like land than an altcoin is. There's been a seismic shift from Bitcoin as a novelty to a necessity. So, uh, Justin, I'll tee you up here again. We've got companies adding Bitcoin to their corporate treasury. That's not something they're doing to like scalp a trade at 10% on Bitcoin. Right. Uh, we've got countries adopting Bitcoin as legal tender and also adding it to treasury. Um, you already talked about high net worth people like Kevin O'Leary doing it. Um, we've also got, frankly, again... Wall Street jumping in and and wanting a piece of the action. Bitcoin is not, in one sense, it's not optional anymore. Now, there's other ways to accrue wealth and grow wealth that don't look like Bitcoin, but there is not a class of people in the world or a class of institution, pension funds, retirement funds. Everybody wants a piece of the action, but that is a Bitcoin thing. That is not a quote-unquote crypto thing. Right. I think it's, um, it's fascinating. I actually saw a, um, a stat yesterday and it's kind of aligns with what you're going after there. Uh, as far as like it being a necessity, it was a, it was a ranking of all of the countries in the world and the, the, the proportion of how many people in that country own Bitcoin to the total of, you know, of, people in that country. So the two top countries in the world that have the most Bitcoin owners, Russia and Ukraine. I think that's fascinating because of the, um, I also don't think that's a coincidence, right? Like the fact that they have the highest percentage of their population um, compared to other countries in the world buying the asset. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with the uncertainty, right? And the uncertainty around their, you know, their financial situation and a number of reasons there. But I think it's, to me, that's a reflection of, that's not institutions, that's individual people and you know, owners, but it's a reflection of them seeing it as a necessity, like you stated. Permission to make a provocative statement. Yes. Permission granted. <laughs> First of all, I should say, sometimes there are explicit warnings. I'm not going to swear. There are explicit warnings because of swear words. We almost need to give like, hey, we're going to talk about math. In case you're listening to this like on your drive into work and you're not fully awake, Justin's about to talk about math. I don't talk about math very much because I'm not very good at math. No, the, provocative, the provocative statement is I am I'm sick and tired and exhausted with people talking negatively about how volatile and risky Bitcoin is. Oh yeah. You know, what's risky fiat currency is risky. (laughs) Fiat currency is you putting your livelihood and your net worth in the hands of a government that frankly, uh, won't mention names may or may not. And probably doesn't always have your best interest at heart. And simply is going to print more of it without your permission. So, um, like I said, I'm a little bit tired and frustrated and and irritated with people talking about negatively about how volatile Bitcoin is. Because frankly, 
the volatility, if you're not an, you know, I don't want to say if you're not an idiot. If you haven't bought at the top and sold at the absolute bottom, which some people do, if you haven't done that, the volatility is on your side. And people, people from Russia and Ukraine, Nigeria, Venezuela are not going, oh man, Bitcoin's volatile. No, no, no. In their situations, Bitcoin is, it's not even like stable's not the right word. It's only positive. Yep. It's like, oh my goodness, it, this is my way out. Yep. Or this same, is a lifeline for me. Yeah, same thing. And I'll mention a few other countries that were up there. Um, just to give you an idea, Nigeria, Venezuela, like countries where, you know, they're being oppressed by other countries or their own governments, like you name it, you know, they, yeah, they don't care about volatility, right? They just want something that at least holds value over time for crying out loud. You know, you can't right. just watch all of your wealth, you know, be printed away. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like, I'm not saying Bitcoin's not volatile. No, Bitcoin is volatile. It's just normally it's volatile in the positive direction. Yeah. It's just like, again, I mean, you know, if you if you held a savings account, you've lost 20 to 30% of the buying power of that money in the last 18 months. Um, so you've, you know, your US dollar in theory has gone down almost 30% in value and you, you just haven't noticed it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, again, the, the, the idea we're trying to, to communicate is um, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is an opt-out. And it's really the first ever opt-out for a lot of people. Um, but, it, yeah, people are seeing value in it. And, and it's something that, again, we've shifted from novelty to necessity. Um, Justin, I said I didn't do math, but I did some math. And it's probably not right. But it's close to right, and close is what I'm going for. I had, a, I had an English teacher that said that close only counted in horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, so I guess we'll play a little horseshoes here with uh, the math I'm about to, to, to spew out. All right. So we're going to talk about why, why any of this matters. Obviously, it's interesting. You may find interest in it like we do, but why does, it, why does this matter? Why are we even talking about this? We're 35 minutes into an episode who cares? What's the the what for, so to speak? I don't put this forward as a use case. I put it forward as a model for understanding. So take take it as just a, a scenario. But it, it paints a it paints a really interesting point. All right. There are fifty-six currently, fifty-six millionaires in the world at, at current moment. Fifty-six. Sorry, not fifty-six. Fifty-six million. I apologize. I miss it by seven zeros. <laughs> Six zeros. Oh my goodness. Let's start over. There are 56 million millionaires in the world. Let's just say in a scenario where all the Bitcoin was available for sale and it's not. I'm not selling mine. Uh, but all the Bitcoin in the world was for sale and 56 million millionaires each bought an equal amount of Bitcoin. I'm going to factor out the fact that 20% of it is estimated to be lost. But if all 56 million millionaires bought all the Bitcoin that existed in equal amounts, they would each only get 0.3 Bitcoin each. Currently $13,000. So 
a millionaire again again that's not that that scenario will never happen right where everybody lines up at one time but the right. point is when people realize this at at a mass scale when it dawns on people what we're talking about and people want a piece of the pie they're not going two things they're not going to be able to get as much of the pie as they want and two, it's going to cost them an awfully an awfully lot more uh, than it than it does today. By the time they want to jump in, yeah. On one note there, uh, so if if your first reaction to that is well, well, like it's almost too scarce, you know, like like how does Bitcoin? Um, there, there's a number of problems that could come into Bitcoin if it's too scarce. But the reality is each single Bitcoin, think well, think of about like the dollar. The dollar is broken down into a hundred pennies. Well, each Bitcoin is broken down into what are called Satoshis, and and it's one hundred million Satoshis equals one Bitcoin. So each Bitcoin is be able, is able to be broken down into a hundred million different little parts. Um, in our land analogy, think of it as the land can be broken down into 100 million little tiny parcels of land. <laughs> I love the word parcels. It's oh, so yes, good. for a number of reasons. Uh, the but the point there is it's scalable. Even even with its scarcity, it's it's still scalable. Um, and at that point is really important, um, as, especially as it relates to you know whatever the, whatever the vision is. Let's say let's say 50 years down the road. Bitcoin is, you know, so insanely expensive that no average person will ever be able to accumulate an entire Bitcoin. It, it almost sounds like, a, you know, whatever, a, a different universe. But in that scenario, people are going to be talking about Satoshis. They're not going to be talking about Bitcoins. Like, no one's going to ask you how much Bitcoin do you have. They're going to ask you how many Satoshis you have, right? Uh, so... Yeah, the main point there is its, it's ability to scale is very, very high. Um, and that also creates a lot of opportunity uh, for people that don't have a lot of wealth um, to be able to buy in smaller amounts, right? Um, yeah, yeah, my first, I mean, my first ever Bitcoin buys were in $25 increments. You know, I can't, I can't throw $25 at Apple stock. You know, also, I mean, Bitcoin, just for, for just sake of clarity, you know, Bitcoin will never need to see a, a stock split, a seven to one or eight to one or 10 to one. It doesn't need to do that, right? Tesla just went through a, talk, a stock split or just announced it. Bitcoin never needs to do that because it's it's nearly infinitely divisible is kind of the, the operative uh, phrase. So when we talk about sats, we're talking about satoshis. So sort of sats is like cents. It's the, it's the divisible... Uh, quantity or the divisible layer of of Bitcoin. So that's what we're trying to say is is global demand for this asset. This is almost an understatement. Is growing to staggering degrees, staggering levels, and it, it, it's only accelerating. Think about think about this. So we're seeing seven figure, eight figure, and nine figure Bitcoin buys right now from buyers who historically do not sell much of their Bitcoin. Like they are not buying to trade it. They aren't buying it and needing it to double so that they can fund their next thing. Again, like you said, they'll just borrow off of it. They're not going to sell it. 
And because they're going to do that, it's only going to drive the value up higher, which increases their, <laughs> their borrowing ability. You see the scenario I'm painting. What happens when five countries, not just one or two, what happens when five countries buy Bitcoin in a three-month time frame? Countries don't buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. That doesn't make sense. Right. What happens when half of the Fortune 50 companies add Bitcoin to their treasury in the same calendar year? Apple's not going to buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. It doesn't make sense. Not to mention all the countries that are, or sorry, the, the companies that right in China, in, I know it's illegal there. Or maybe it's not anymore. They keep flipping. On it's illegal issue, to whatever. mine, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, you know, like Japan, uh, country, you know, countries all around the world have entire economies with companies that, you know, will be pursuing this thing. It's 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 not just America, and it's easy to kind of like stay in our little American bubble and not think about it that way. Right. Exactly. We're not we're not talking about a $50 million or $100 million company. We're only talking, when I say Fortune 50, right? We're, I mean, we're talking about companies that are yeah. worth, their, their, their market caps are in the hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars. The point is, those companies are starting to want in, and they're not going to want in for six figures or seven figures or eight figures of Bitcoin. Uh, sure. there, you know, I mentioned last week, uh, Terra already announced they want $10 billion, and they're a third of the way there already. So... I hope I, we, we've sort of not been applying this stuff a lot just yet, but I hope the application already starts to make sense. Here, here's the issue that Justin, people like you and I, we, we're considered sort of small fish retail. We're insignificant, at least right now, sort of, you know, retail is often caught. So when we say retail, we mean people that own, call it less than 10 Bitcoin, whatever. They own 0.1 to 10 Bitcoin or less than 0.1. Retail is often caught selling their Bitcoin when the price starts to fall. Justin, tell, the, tell people when they sell their Bitcoin who they're selling their Bitcoin to. They're selling it to everyone who is going to hold on to it you know, forever. You're selling it to the person that will not sell it back to you. <laughs> I want you to imagine that you own, you own a piece of land whatever city you live in, five miles outside of, of the city limits. It's a, it's a piece of land that's not super developed, but sort of like you can see the city moving that way. And then, you know, there's a, an economic crash and you go to sell your land and you find out that Apple, Apple is the buyer. Apple is the company that wants to buy your land at 70 cents on the dollar. You have, you'd think to yourself, why does Apple want to buy my plot of land? I would hope that would that would cause you to be a little more uh, steeled in your confidence that maybe I should hold on to this a little bit longer, right? Maybe Apple knows something I don't know, or maybe I'm just going to charge them triple because it's Apple, right? That's kind of the point. Yeah. Um, per permission to make another... Kevin O'Leary permission quote. granted. Okay. I have one more and I promise Go. I'm done with Kevin O'Leary quotes <laughs> after this. Uh, but I wanted to get to this quote before we moved on and, and lost the point. So one of the other things uh, Kevin O'Leary mentioned on that, on that podcast, he said there's trillions of dollars of institutions waiting to get into crypto 
but they can't because the regulatory framework isn't built yet. So like it's easy it's easy to hear us talking about, you know, Apple buying your Bitcoin and and companies buying the stuff. And there are there are, you know, publicly traded companies that are starting to buy this up. Um, but the main point there is there's a lot of layers of regulatory framework that is holding a lot of companies back. The opportunity is they're actually like like you get to hear about it before the regulatory frameworks is built, right? And our, our government is just now starting to kind of look over, hey, okay, what's this crypto thing? Like we gotta we gotta learn about it. We gotta, you know, see the value in it and and, and regulate it in a way that um, makes sense. But it, that is immense opportunity, right? And and those that trillions of dollars that he's talking about, those are the companies that'll buy the Bitcoin and they're not gonna sell it. You know, they're not coming to go they're not coming in to, to trade a, a four hour uh, Bitcoin yeah. chart, you know, for the next uh, two months. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's people buying for pension funds. And, and frankly, it's 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 quote unquote people buying to actually stabilize the rest of their asset class or, or to yeah. give their their portfolio more stability or more upside. Yeah. So three. Actually, I wanted to mention a statement off of that. I, I, I just remembered. It's actually one of the things I love about Bitcoin. Uh, I had a few people level a charge uh, against Bitcoin to say it was only for the elite. And I just said, I literally just said as kindly as I could, you could not be more wrong. Um, You could not be more wrong. If anything, you know, crypto has favored the young. You know, crypto has favored the, the, the curious. Uh, It's favored the, the risk tolerant. Um, Justin, people like you and I have had the ability to buy Bitcoin far in advance of people like Kevin O'Leary. Now, Kevin could buy it as a citizen, but, but, you know, the, the, a manager of a, of a hedge fund, you know, could not buy Bitcoin as part of that fund. He, like he or she did not have the ability to even do it. So, and, and again, you've been able to buy it in $20 amounts or $5 amounts, Again, it, it is the most it, not only the the most bullish asset in the history of the world, but also the the most accessible. Anybody with access to the internet, which is a lot of people now, has had the opportunity to buy Bitcoin for a very long time. All right, off the off the rabbit. Uh, another mixed metaphor. Off the soapbox, out of the rabbit hole. Let's go. So three applications uh, on this episode, and we'll we'll wrap up here. Um. First, always, always, always be stacking sats. So ABC from Glengarry, Glenn Ross, always be closing. This is ABS. Always be stacking sats or ABSS, I guess. Sats is short for Satoshis, by the way. Right, the divisible unit of Bitcoin. My personal view, not financial advice, my, my personal view is that I am always, I'm always in the process of stacking accumulating how much Bitcoin, again, not crypto, how much Bitcoin I have. Even when I trade other altcoins, I think about, is this going to help me grow my Bitcoin stack or am I putting you know future Bitcoin growth at too much risk, right? Yeah. So Justin, how does, <laughs> connect the dots on us, uh, for us on why, how DCA is the, the vehicle for helping us do that. 
Well, I think a lot of people underestimate the power of buying a little bit at a time, you know, how effective that is. And it's, I know that if you've, if you've ever kind of dove into the investment world, I'm not talking about crypto. I'm just talking about funding your retirement when you start early. So when you're young and you do it all the time in little amounts, um, that's how people build the most wealth, right? Cause they, it's like, they don't even see it. It's just happening in the background. Um, and that's a really positive angle. Well, it can also be negative. You know, like you also, sometimes you don't think about how much money you're spending at Starbucks or whatever on, on fast food or wherever, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is. But, um, it's very effective because it's happening in the background. You don't see it and you're slowly accumulating over time. So to me, that's what makes DCA so attractive is it, it's the most powerful tool you have to accumulate Bitcoin. It's much more effective than trading. Um, it'll, it, you know, it doesn't give you uh, anxiety like training does or, or trading does or other things, but yeah, it's, there's, there's no better solution to accumulate Bitcoin than, than, dollar cost average. Yeah. One thing it kind of makes me, it makes me sad, but it illustrates the point. I understand why people play the lottery. I understand demographically the type of people um, in our society that are sort of more disposed, predisposed to the lottery. I'm not talking about the, the good and the bad of a lottery system. You know, we understand people that go to, to Vegas for a thrill to, not really even make money, but just to have a good time. And sometimes I just I just think to myself, you know, I think I think Bitcoin's a pretty good time, uh, but that maybe I'm just nerdy. I, I think to myself, you know, people people that go to the convenience store and spend twenty to fifty dollars a week on scratch offs. Not 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 demeaning people. I spend twenty to fifty dollars a week on stuff, whatever. Exactly. Call it coffee. Call it whatever stuff you don't need. That's probably more deleterious to your health than helpful. Yeah. You know if you know, and this isn't trying to be overly reductionistic. Like, hey, instead of buying you know soda or or instead of buying meat, you go meatless and spend your meat money on. This is not what we're talking about. Right. I'm just saying. People that put money at risk for thrill and fun that you don't need it. I just think to myself, man, if, if, if somebody for the last five years would have put $20 a week into Bitcoin instead of into scratch offs, yeah. they're like, they're in a, they're in an unbelievably, unbelievably yeah. good spot right now. And, that's, you know, and they're actually lifted out of whatever poverty or economic difficulty they're in. They're out of it, completely out of it. Yeah. And forever out of it, if they just held their Bitcoin, right? I know, I understand the impossibility of that situation, but like, it's available to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing there is you're not saying stop spending all this money over here and spend it all on Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, just, just maybe add Bitcoin into the mix of things that you're spending money right. on, on a monthly basis. And it's amazing how powerful that is. Yeah. Very quickly. There are even tools right now. I forget who it is now. Uh, I think it's cash app actually that just rolled out this week an option. You know how, for instance, if you spend, a dollar seventy six on a candy bar and a, a, a can of soda, 
there's an option in your bank account to round up to the nearest dollar and put that money into savings, you know, 24 cents or 34 cents, whatever it is. There's an option on Cash App now, I believe, to round all your purchases up to the nearest dollar and put that amount of money that rounded up into Bitcoin. I'm, yep. I'm 99% sure it's Square. It's uh, Cash App, which is powered by Square. There you go. Yep. There's also another tool that every time, and Justin, you and I haven't, haven't even talked about this. I, I found out about it two days ago, and I need to look into it more. There's another tool that will allow you to buy the dip. Every time Bitcoin drops a certain amount, it will let you get money into the market on those events where you don't have to have orders set up. Anyway, the point is there's ways of stacking sats, and it's my belief, not financial advice. I'm always always stacking sats all right secondly uh i'll I'll use a quote from hamilton the the musical follow the money to see where it goes right this is a timeless principle if you want to find out what's going on follow the money so just again quick reminder watch who is buying pay attention um do not sell your bitcoin to those people um one caveat i did want to mention do not think, do not think that, don't say to yourself, oh, like when Apple buys, I'm going to jump on that gravy train. Like I'll, you know, I'm going to wait till Apple buys and then I'll catch the wave. <laughs> by the time you know that Apple bought or whoever, Google, whoever you want to talk about, by the time you know about it, it's already two months old. It's three months old. They've been buying for 90 days in small yeah. increments to not move the market by themselves. By the time you know about anything, by the time I know about anything, it's already too late. It's already happened. The market's already moved. If you react to it, you're just a late. You're you're late on the on the on the train. The last point, uh, Justin, I'll get any any things you have as well here. The last points: so always be stacking sats. Follow the money to see where it goes. Pay attention to who's buying. The last the last point is buy Bitcoin in a way that you don't have to sell it if the price drops 70%. So don't buy Bitcoin in a way where you're you're over leveraged. And if the price went from 42,000 down to 18,000, you would have to sell it to just recoup or you can't sleep at night. Like that's actually a massive mistake. So if you're moving money into the market, think to yourself, can I stomach a 50 or 70% drop? And if you can't, that's probably a sign that you need to sort of reconsider some things. Justin, any any final points of application here? Anything to sort of clean up the mess that we made <laughs> in this <Wow>. episode? <laughs> no, I. Everyone, thank you for listening to us. Clearly, uh, we just uh, love Bitcoin, and it's been a fun hour for sure. Um, I don't have anything else, but uh, other than DCA, yeah, DCA, DCA, DCA. And don't put in more than you can afford to lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, we we're passionate about it. Uh, I think to a degree, uh, you know, I feel like Bitcoin is an opportunity to see the future and buy the future. And, and that's really what we're, we're interested in doing. So like Justin said, thanks for listening. Uh, we look forward to continuing this mini series on don't sleep on uh, Bitcoin. So for Justin, I'm Brandon, everybody have a good Friday, have a good weekend, and we will see you next time. For more information, check out our website at blazingcrypto.io. Additionally, if you have friends that are new to crypto, share our trailhead videos from our website, which is a great way to get introduced to crypto.